How clever is a tree that can tell the time? Here's the deal. You're stuck in the rainforests of Southeast Asia without a watch. What you need to do is to find a simpo tree. It's a scrubby, shrubby plant with a bright yellow flower. Observe that flower by torchlight and just as the petals begin to open, you can be pretty sure that it's three o'clock in the morning. To prove or to disprove the theory, we've come to the University of Malaya Botanical Gardens. Rimba Ilnu is the name of them. That incidentally means forest of knowledge. I'm joined by somebody who's very knowledgeable and who's hopping because he's just been stung on the foot by an ant, Mr. Sugu Maran. Um, are you a skeptic? Is this theory good or are we going to prove that it's bunk? Yeah, I am a bit skeptical. A bit skeptical. Yes. And you've just shone your torch on a beautiful but closed at the moment mm -hmm. yellow flower. What do you reckon? Yes, uh, I think this is starting to open. Uh, it was uh, pretty much a bud or uh, closed at the last yesterday evening. Uh, I could only see little yellow petals, but now you can see the petals here are pretty much exposed, but it's still in a closed state. Now, if the books are right, if this does open at precisely the same time, this has got how long? 15 minutes, 10 minutes to, to become fully open? Yes, I don't think that will happen. You don't? <laughs> no. Time check? Mm. Seven minutes to three. Yeah. What evolutionary advantage does opening at this time of the morning confer on a plant like this? The flowers take a long time to open. So fully open at three o'clock presumably will get them ready for the flowers to attract bugs or even uh, little birds. To, to come and visit them in the morning to, to actually uh, pollinate them. So it leaves, so they're, they're, they're fully open and, and attracting the, as you say, the pollinators in for the longest possible time, the maximum daylight hours, if they're ready well before it gets. Yeah, this, these flowers will be ready for them at that, at that time of the day. So it's saying, yeah. come and get me, I'm ready, I've yeah. been up since yeah. three, come and, yeah. come and ravish me. Yeah. And then since this flower only lasts for, the, for, for a day, yeah. or probably for only about eight hours or so, so that gives them an, a full advantage, maximum advantage uh, for the pollinators to, to, do their, to do their job. What sort of bugs might this bright yellow flower attract? Well, bugs are, are actually coming for the... The, the stamens, which are like uh, little cotton bud like in the flower, uh, which actually they like to munch on. And as the flower opens, the sepals is like, a, is like a landing pad for them. So it's easy for them to land as well as to munch on the stamens. It's a clever trick, isn't it? So the, 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 the flowers aren't just providing something for the bugs to eat, they're providing a table for them to sit at as well. This is, yes, like, a, yes. this is like a restaurant, effectively, for True. these, for these yeah. bugs. Um, what do you reckon since we've been talking? It seems to me, just looking at the far side there, that another sapple is just beginning to, to unfold. Hmm. That was a sceptical hmm. Yes. <laughs> Am I wishing too much? Yep. <laughs>
I think you should leave this thing and then uh, go to another flower. Yep. Uh, come back. Come back to this one. Back. Yes. If we just watch it and watch it, it's mm. it's happening too slowly for us yeah. to notice. We need time lapse photography. Time lapse radio. Even. <laughs> So by what mechanism is this tree able to tell what time of the day it is? It must be a response to some environmental conditions that, that, that is the trigger. I think it is probably the humidity, which is uh, probably the lowest at this uh, time of the day, which triggers the plant or the flower buds or the seed pods to actually emphasize. Um, all these processes are controlled by hormones, uh, which actually recognises the, the moist or the humidity condition in the environment. So that hormone, that plant hormone, is a pretty effective measure of humidity. To my body, I'm sweating pretty profusely. You say mm -hmm. it's not as humid at this time of the day as, mm -hmm. as it is when the sun's up, but it's yep. still pretty sweaty, isn't it? It's still yes. pretty steamy. Yeah, um, so comparatively... It, it, it must it detect quite subtle differences. Yes. So um, you, if you compare the uh, afternoon in the tropics and the early morning like this, of course the humidity is much lower now compared to the, um, in the afternoon. Yeah, let's open a bit. You can see all the five petals now. It's a beautiful flower, beautiful isn't it? Flower. Does it have a fragrance? No, it doesn't have a fragrance. Yeah, there's another one up there. Ah, that one's happening. Yes. <laughs> They've not let us down. And another one, look, there. Yeah. They're everywhere now. Yes. That's extraordinary. You were sceptical to start with. Are you less sceptical now? Of course, I'm less sceptical now. <laughs> Scientists um. should get up early in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> this one is stunningly beautiful. The flower is uh, three quarters open. Mm. And uh, next to it, there are some flowers for perhaps tomorrow or next week. And each one of those tightly closed buds has a drop of water hanging from it, just catching our torchlight uh, like a little crystal. And there's a, an ant coming to have a look, see if there's any prospect of breakfast around. <laughs> Probably a drink. Or a drink, yes, plenty of that. Mm. Stunning, beautiful. Um, the area of the garden that we just passed, where the yellow sculpture is, is a particular thing that I'm very interested in, sense of place. Malay place names are named after plants. So Penang is a palm. Ipo is a very famous tree from which the Aboriginal people use their, get derive their poisons for their blow darts. This Kampong here, this village here, was known as is known as Sungai Plong, and there were no plong trees until I managed to get the Aboriginal people to get some for me from a forest reserve, and we planted a circle of these trees. We've left the botanical gardens of Kuala Lumpur behind and moved about 40, 50 kilometres away to uh, the magnificent gardens of uh, Angela Hijas, a, a Melbourneite actually from Australia who came here what, about 30 years ago and, and, and loved the place, loved the local and, and has stayed ever since. <laughs> We've left the Simpo behind as well. 
but plenty of other very clever trees around in your view. Absolutely. I think Malaysia's biodiversity is quite remarkable and it's my objective to plant indigenous species in my garden in order to educate Malaysians about their heritage, about Malaysia's incredible range of forest trees and plants. It takes an Australian to do that, does it? Unfortunately, yes. And but That's being a bit presumptuous, but there is no education on nature studies, which I think most British audiences would take uh, with a grain of salt. You always have nature studies at school, in primary school anyway. Here there's no awareness of the importance of landscape and the trees are the, the basis of that landscape and it's so important to be able to recognise and, and to be able to name a tree. The landscape is the only thing that we all truly share. There's nothing else that, that brings us together in, in the same manner. What, because there are Malays, there are, are Indians, there are Chinese, there are Australians, all, right. all Malaysians, but ethnically very different, religiously very different. Yeah, culture divides us, but landscape unites us. And if you're looking for something that uh, is going to bind people together, surely it's the experience of walking through a forest and, or walking on a clean beach on the east coast or seeing rivers, pristine rivers, this is what Malaysia is, but if we lose this, then what have we got? Devastation all around us, I suspect. This is meant in no way to be disrespectful to, to, to the Malaysians. Uh, in, indeed, it could be a, uh, an observation on, on all humankind, but clever trees, silly humans, we're not treating them as we should. We're taking them very much for granted, and we're likely to lose them because of that. I think so, yes. If people know more about what's in their forest, the the particular characteristics of every tree, whether it's uh, telling the time or the fact that they provide food and sustenance for some other species, every plant does. It's, it's a remarkable body of knowledge that we're in danger of losing and we're in danger of losing those trees as well. Many of the indigenous people, because they, and the, the native Malays, they move, they're urbanizing, they're losing that knowledge and as we lose it, we, we lose that access to the forest. You don't recognise the species, you don't understand it, therefore it's not important, it's not valuable, except for the timber that it contains. And then it's cut down. And gone. A one-off one return. Yes. Well, it's now two o'clock in the afternoon and such is the short and fairly frantic life of the Simpo flower that it's already beginning to look pretty dog-eared. It's coming to the end of its life and by the end of today, um, not much more than 12 hours after it started to open, it'll be completely finished. Dr Wong from the University of Malaya is with me. We proved the sceptics wrong. It did start to open at three o'clock, although the process was fairly long-winded. It didn't just snap open suddenly at three o'clock on the dot. So the scientific process here is what, do you suppose? Well, we, we can easily explain things uh, to be a certain way by saying that it would confer a particular advantage. Um, an evolutionary advantage, because there is so much advantage. competition in the rainforest that if it doesn't get pollinated early, early on in the morning, yeah. something else will, 
and we'll smother this plant, uh, and this will die effectively. Yeah, that would be correct. So it's clever, but indirectly clever. I, I think you can say that it's clever because uh, if a process will not truly advantageous uh, through time, it would not exist and it certainly would not exist as a population. Perhaps some individual may have some clever mechanism retained in its lifestyle, as you put it. Uh, and in fact, we know that mutations can bring about changes in individuals. But if that change, however beneficial it is, is not eventually translated into uh, the scale of a population, you do not in fact have a real evolution. All right? So you, you can see changes um, between individuals and consider that as just variation. I mean, there are the size changes, color changes, and changes in certain features such as spininess and so on in plants. Um, but for a major change to come, and be associated with the survival of a population, that population has first got to be distinct from a pre-existing population. And that's how evolution takes place. This is the rainforest, so perhaps not surprisingly, it's beginning to rain. We heard the odd rumble of thunder there, so before it pours down, I should thank you, Dr. Wong, and uh, Mr. Sugumaran for getting up so bright and early this morning. You're looking very bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and how's the foot? The ant sting. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm quite used to it. Yeah, it's an occupational hazard. Th yes. Thank you both, and also thank you earlier to Angela. Thank you.